0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Hi, and welcome to the latest Policy Forum pod. Today, we look at the Paris Climate Change Agreement
2: we have decided in Paris as an aspirational goal is an economy-wide transformation of our societies and of our economies.
0: We also look at the future of the agreement and whether it will survive the prospect of a Trump presidency in the US.
1: But the reality is that the global climate change policy framework is much larger than any one country and much, much larger than any one administration.
0: Hi, I'm Fiona Benson, and welcome to the latest Policy Forum pod. Earlier this year, 175 countries signed the historic Paris Climate Change Agreement. It was a major diplomatic coup. The signing itself set a new record for one-day signing of an international accord. But the question now is whether governments around the world can turn this diplomatic victory into an economic and environmental one. To help us answer this question, We have with us today two of the world's foremost experts in climate change policy. From 2008 to 2015, Professor Otmar Eidenhofer served as co-chair of Working Group Three of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. A Professor of Climate Change Economics at the Technical University of Berlin, Director of the Mercator Institute on Climate Change and Global Commons, and Deputy Director of the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research, there are arguably few people who can match his insight, knowledge and experience when it comes to the economics of climate change. Joining him is our own Crawford School climate policy expert, Frank Yotzo. Frank was lead author of the IPCC's Fifth Assessment Report, is director of the ANU Centre for Climate, Economics and Policy and has been a key advisor to state and federal governments in Australia as well as to governments in the region. Let's start with the historic Paris Climate Change Agreement. Professor, if I could start with you, what is on the agenda for governments now to ensure this agreement is a success?
2: Now the Paris Agreement was already a diplomatic success but to make the Paris Agreement uh, to a real success there are, from my point of view, two important things. The first one is we have to acknowledge that the voluntary contributions of the countries are not consistent with their own aspirational goals to limit the increase of global mean temperature around 2 degree or below 2 degree. So we need a rated up process. That's, from my point of view, very, very important that uh, we have a stock take where we are now, And then um, to find a way that the countries can increase their ambitious level over time.
0: Now, one country that has come to the fore, who's obviously um, a large emitter and also a leader on the global stage, is the United States. So, Frank, perhaps I could get your view on this. Um, One of the presumptive nominees, Donald Trump, has said that he would like to cancel the Paris Agreement should he take the White House. What do you make of that?
1: Yes, Fiona, well, that would be a very big change because the US has been very instrumental in making the Paris Agreement happen uh, together with the Chinese government. And so um, a uh, change in president of that nature to, to President Trump would be um, in, in some form uh, a very drastic change. Um, it, it would be quite unclear what would happen, and there's been some pretty uh, drastic statements about what what a president Trump might do um, uh, with with the Paris Agreement, but the reality is that the global climate change policy framework is much larger uh, than any one country and much much larger than any one administration uh, of of one country. And so, um, in a sense, the the worst that could happen uh, to, to a global process um, under such a scenario in the U.S. would be withdrawal of United States support for it, thereby one large country less actively supporting a strong global outcome. Um, and from that, of course, um, a, a kind of a, a perhaps limited snowballing effect with other countries also taking a step back um, if their present governments were so inclined. But longer term, I don't think that any such particular event, one country changing government in that way, uh, would impede the global process in in a major way. Otmar, uh, Um, how do you assess that?
2: I'm I'm a little bit more pessimistic. You are right. The whole process is larger than one country. But nevertheless, as you mentioned, the US and China was enormously instrumental to make this Paris Agreement happen. And as I said, it's just a diplomatic success a dramatic diplomatic success. But in the end, we are at risk because we have now a very high level of cooperation. And so we are at risk that cooperation, the level of cooperation is declining. Why? Because the voluntary contributions of the countries are not transparent at all. And if you want to build trust, so you need transparency in the sense that you really know what uh, the other countries are contributing to the global public good. And in that sense, um, it's not so much about Donald Trump. It's very much about a, a, a further development of the whole agreement in a way that countries provide contributions in a transparent way. That's the first step. And then to find a common metric, what they can contribute. So I proposed implicit carbon prices because this measures very well the level of efforts and in order to increase the level of ambition, so Paris has invented a wonderful institution which is called the Green Climate Fund, complemented by climate finance, where this climate fund could contribute conditional transfers to the countries who want to increase the level of ambition and this is, seems to me is is very important so and this
0: p- framework would take care of the developing uh, w- countries so that they're not disadvantaged yeah yes of course while the more developed countries can still reduce their emissions
2: that's right so that's exactly the way to go
0: yeah. So a carbon price has been a topical issue in Australia over the last few years. Um, uh, and obviously, we're in the middle of an election campaign now. But if you could take a moment to explain why a carbon price is the most effective mechanism. You mentioned transparency um, and having a common measure.
2: Now, the public perceives carbon pricing as a very strange ideas invented by economists almost 100 years ago. It's, for economists, it's not new at all. But what we have decided in Paris as an aspirational goal is an econo- economy-wide transformation of our societies and of our economies, which basically means drastic emission reduction. All sectors have to contribute, the power sector, the transport sector, the heat sector, the agriculture sector. And if you want to launch such a transformational process, you need an economy-wide instrument, regulation, regulation, efficiency standards for specific cars or for specific sectors are not good enough. So in that sense, uh, if you want to do a little bit about emission reductions, the traditional instruments are quite okay. But if you want to launch a transformational process, you need a signal which is uh, unique for all the different sectors. And, and, and uh, the sectors and the firms can then decide to what extent they can reduce emissions. Uh, so a carbon price allows us to launch this transformational process of emission reduction in the most cost-effective way. And this is the reason why a carbon price is is uh, uh, so favorable uh, compared to other policy instruments.
0: Now, um, one uh, place where we have had... Uh, this sort of emissions trading scheme for some time is obviously the EU. Um, There have been some criticisms that the price has been too low and therefore the scheme has been ineffective. Would you have any um, thoughts as to what might need to be done to that scheme to uh, reform or improve its operation?
2: Uh, First of all, I I share the sentiments that the price is too low because uh, all the announcements of the regulators have destabilized the expectations of the investors and the traders on the market. So the EU emissions trading scheme is now more a batting shop for political decisions than a marketplace selecting the most cost-effective technologies. So in that sense, uh, we need a fix of the malfunctioning of the system. And one way to do this is to introduce a minimum price. So uh, we are far away from implementing it, but at least we have launched a debate about that.
0: And I think perhaps just to finish off, and Frank, I know you've done a lot of research in this area as well, <clears throat> is this idea that by actually pricing carbon emissions, you have the true cost of fossil fuels, and therefore you can more uh, accurately, I guess, compare it with the cost of renewable energy. And is that a path that you would both uh, encourage governments to go down to, to truly cost fossil fuels and when comparing them against renewable?
1: Well, the economics of it is clear. You want to have a similar price, price signal on carbon emissions right through the economy, and that's the basic premise behind carbon pricing. That's the beauty of it, in a sense. In a political practice, we've seen this in many countries, including in Australia, um, it is difficult at this point... Um, apparently difficult politically to make carbon pricing the main instrument that really drives action. So we saw that in Australia. In fact, we had a minimum price on, on carbon in the legislation, uh, which then was taken out of legislation. And then, of course, the entire carbon pricing legislation was, uh, was repealed um, in, in a grand political debate and a, and, and a change of government. Um, we're also seeing in Europe that uh, really the majority of, of climate change action, emission reduction action, in most European countries, ha- doesn't happen on account of the emissions trading scheme and the emissions price, but on account of other policies, energy efficiency mandates, subsidy programs, support for renewable energy. And so that can be effective, but uh, it's not always the most efficient, the most effic- economically efficient way to go.
2: Yeah, but uh, here I would like to add something. So it's it's uh, I fully agree. So without carbon pricing, you are less efficient. But also you're less effective, and the German example is a very good one. So we had a very generous feed-in tariff system. We pushed the renewables into the system. And at the same time, we pushed out of the system the highly efficient gas-fired plants, and coal comes back. And now we are at risk to fail our own goals. So in that sense, without carbon pricing, you are also less effective, not just Uh, a little bit more costly so the public is not very sensitive when economists talk about the most cost efficient way in the sense that you can do things a little bit efficient uh, a little bit more efficient but the the real thing is that without the carbon price so you are really at, at risk that for example coal comes back and the emission reduction is then no longer possible so this is something which 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 worries me and let me highlight the three characteristics of carbon pricing, which are not very well appreciated by politicians. First, a carbon price incentivizes carbon free technologies. Second, it penalizes the use of fossil fuels according to the carbon content. And third, with carbon pricing, you can generate revenues and you can do something useful with these revenues. So, and these are the three important political economy characteristics. And I hope over the next few years, politicians can appreciate these three. Uh, wonderful uh, characteristics of carbon pricing more.
0: I certainly hope so too. And thank you both very much for your time today. Thanks, thank you. Well, that's it for today. Don't forget to keep up to date on the latest debate, discussion and analysis on the Asia Pacific with net. You can also follow us on Twitter at APPS Policy Forum and find us on Facebook where we are Asia Pacific Policy Society. If you're enjoying this series, Please take a moment to review us on iTunes. Help us get the word out and keep the debate going.